Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning. As we celebrate that Christ has come, we also want to remind ourselves of what God has given us the opportunity to do in missions in this last calendar year, and we look forward for the opportunities of what God's going to call us to next year. And so we will continue on in our mission strategy, and we'll be making those opportunities available around the first of the year. And so whether you're middle school, high school student, or an adult, there's going to be an opportunity and a place for you to go, and we would love for you to join us on one of these opportunities. If you've got your Bible, go and open up to Luke chapter 1. Here in just a minute, we're going to start in verse 46. This week is Christmas. I love this week. I love this season. And especially with a lot of the things that we have going on around here this week, and and today is one of those days we got to see our kids up on stage singing, and then this evening, as Pastor Dave told us about, at 5 o'clock, we're going to be gathered back out in our parking lot uh, to to have a time of of worship as we have a bunch of different musicians and artists that are going to be here playing and singing Christmas songs. And so wonderful opportunity for us to come, be there, be together, be outdoors. Uh, We keep checking the weather, and it does look like the weather's going to clear out after 1 o'clock, but we know the weatherman only has to be right half the time to be good, all right? But but we are praying that that that'll clear out, and if not, there will be a contingency plan. We'll have hot drinks and snacks, and would love for you to be out here with us. And then on on Christmas Eve, we will have our Christmas Eve service, and would love for all of you to be here. And, And if you haven't been to one before, it is a family service. Service, which means it's all of us in here, from babies all the way up to great-grandma, all right? And so it is loud, it is chaotic, but it feels like home, and it feels like Christmas, and we love it. So we're going to gather together, sing Christmas songs, talk about the Christmas story, and take the Lord's Supper, and would love for you to be here and join us with that. So let's go ahead and get into a part of the Christmas narrative this morning in Luke 1, starting in verse 46. And scripture says, and Mary said, but we're going to see that Mary sang, all right? So, and Mary sang, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And his name, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away, he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. 
Now, if you're wondering, Bo, like, where in the world is the Christmas story in what you just read? This is part of it that gets left out for us from time to time. In fact, this dialogue is, is happening probably somewhere uh, about eight to, to nine months before the traditional Christmas story that we think of, and it's a song that Mary sings. And so we want to look at this song and, and see what God is communicating through his servant Mary, the mother of Christ. And the first thing that I want us to look at in these verses this morning is simply Mary's response. So let's back up a little bit to understand the story and to remind ourselves so Mary is a teenage girl, probably somewhere between the ages of 13 to 15 years old, and finds out from the angel Gabriel that God's favor is, is on her. Now, I think that's important. It doesn't begin that you're going to have a son and his name's going to be Jesus. It begins with God's favor rests upon you. And that this virgin Mary will conceive a son as a virgin through the power of the Spirit of God and his name will be Jesus and he will reign over God's kingdom forever. And Gabriel also tells her that her relative, and we don't know how old Elizabeth is, but the Bible says that she's an old age, has also conceived a son even though she is thought to be barren. And her son will be John the Baptist, the one who will go out into the wilderness preparing the way and declaring for the coming Messiah. And so what we find with Mary at the end of this dialogue with Gabriel is that she trusts God. She trusts him. And then she leaves to go and be with Elizabeth. Now, this journey this teenage girl takes from her town to where Elizabeth is would have taken somewhere between 10 to 14 days. It says that the army, when the army would march from this location to that location, it would take them 10 days. And so let's say that Mary is at, at her best could do it in 10, but if she takes a little bit more time moving from day to day, probably somewhere more around two weeks, and she walks into Elizabeth's house. Couldn't send a text message, couldn't shoot an email. She's not posting on Instagram her different journeys on her way there, right? And so she walks in and the proclamation is made that Mary is there. And the Bible tells us that when Elizabeth finds out that Mary is there, a few things happen. Number one, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps with joy, right? The power of the Spirit of God of what God is doing in the birth of these two kids. And when Mary is there with Christ in her womb, very early on in her pregnancy, the baby leaps. Elizabeth says in that moment that Mary is blessed, that her baby is blessed, and then she says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Acknowledging the Savior Christ and who he is. And then Mary goes into a song. Now this kind of seems weird in, in, in our culture, in our context, right? Like imagine you've got a relative that you haven't seen in a while and they come to your house and you greet them with a hug and, and you tell them how blessed you are that they've come to visit you and then all of a sudden they just go into full-blown musical, right, and start singing, right? Well, this is kind of what happens. Now, 
We don't know if it's just spur of the moment that this song comes up to Mary through the leading of the Spirit. We don't know that on her journey, as it's already been seen that Mary, even at her young age, is a mature woman of faith, that as she's journeying on, she's, she's writing as the Spirit of God leads her, the, the lyrics and the words to this song. We don't know, but we know that what we gain in this is Mary's response to not only all that she had experienced since Gabriel came to her, but this song that she sings is all that Mary has experienced in her young life as far as it comes to her relationship with the Lord. In Mary's testimony and song, it's not just one that's writing about God's faithfulness over the last 10 to 14 days. It's about the faithfulness of God for all of eternity, for all of existence, for all that Mary would have ever known. And so we want to look at her song and understand these lyrics and the power of what they're communicating. Look back at verse 46 and 47. She begins her song by singing, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Literally, Mary's song says from the very beginning that she desires to enlarge God. She wants to make God larger, make God greater. Now, she can't, but what it means is she wants to make him known. My soul magnifies the Lord. Let me sing to, let me show you the greatness of God. As if what you've seen before is hidden, but now it's under a, a microscope so that you can see. My soul magnifies the Lord, she says, and my spirit rejoices in, in God, my Savior. Now, I can imagine while her spirit rejoices that her days have been a little bit stressful. I don't think it's too far of a leap to say since Mary got that news almost two weeks ago that there's been some sleepless nights, there's been some anxious moments. She trusts the Lord, yes, but it's the battle and the practicality of living that out in her obedience to God. But what she says is, in spite of all of this, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary's desperation for who God is and her realization that she needs to be saved. And what we see in this, and this is why I shared with you earlier, it's not just a song about God's faithfulness in the moment, but it's a song about what Mary knows about God in the existence in her entire life, and even going all the way back in the time and the life of her people of God's faithfulness to Israel is what she declares. And over the course of her song, she shares these things of, 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 of where her joy can be found and why she would magnify him. She sings of his might and his strength, that he's larger and stronger than anything in this world and anything that you and I could imagine. And in his power, in his strength, though, she sings of and declares his mercy, his compassion, and his kindness toward all people. She declares his holiness, that he is perfect, not like any other. And in his perfection, that he is 
the helper. That he's not just above, but he's in. And he's in the battle, and he's with his people, and it's what he sees through. And then her song, as she declares who God is, and I, I love this aspect of it. Who, now thinking about it, it's Mary who's just spoken to by an angel of the Lord. It says, but God also continues to speak. And he has spoken to his people. And when he speaks, not only does he make known, but by speaking, we see that he is knowable, right? And it's what we find in God's word. Not only does he speak so that he can make things known, but God speaks so that he can be knowable, so that we can see him and meet him and learn about him and be in relationship with him. And all of these things is what God is for Mary, but it's also for what God is for you and I as well. I know the last few days, I don't know if you've noticed, it's been pretty foggy. Last night, we went and had Christmas with my wife's family in Jackson, South Carolina, and, and, and after we were done having Christmas with them, um, we, we, Aaron and I had driven separately so we could do some different things afterwards, and, and, and I started heading back to Lexington um, a little bit later, and it, normally the drive takes me right out an hour, but the, right as I got into my car and started leaving Jackson, the storm came in. And if you're wondering where that storm came from, it came from my Dodge Ram truck heading down the interstate, all right? Because it landed on me and stayed on me from Jackson through Lexington, right? And it got me here, all right? And, and it, it took me, a drive that would normally take me an hour, it took me an hour and a half. Because of the fog and because of the rain, it felt like you could barely see in front of your, the, the hood of my truck as I was making my way down the interstate. And we've had a lot of days like this where, where we walk out and that's what we see. But spiritually speaking, for so many of us, that's the way things feel right now. And I can imagine for Mary that things seemed a little foggy, even though she had faith. That things seemed a little bit complicated because she could only see so far. But in this song, for, for you... As you walk through these seasons, in the song for me as I walk through my seasons, in the song for Mary, we realize that we can trust God beyond what we can see, that we can trust God beyond what we can understand because he is mighty and he is strong and he is filled with mercy and love and that he and he alone is holy and that he loves us and he steps in with us and he speaks to us and we know him. And so the root, the, the basis of the song is the depth out of who Mary is as she knows him. But not only does Mary respond, but Mary is going to respond by, by singing about what we're going to call kingdom blessing. Kingdom blessing. Mary says in this song that she is blessed. Elizabeth has previously said that she is blessed. Gabriel the angel, when he comes to her, says that she is blessed. And you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, standing on this side of the birth of Christ, would look at Mary and say, yes, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she was blessed. But the question I have for you this morning is how? How? Mary doesn't get rich because of this. Mary isn't freed from the struggles of pregnancy or childbirth. In life, she will lose her husband, and she will watch her very son 
be betrayed, beaten, tried, and executed. So how was Mary blessed? How many of us want to sign up for that? To live the life that she would have of struggle. To live the life that she would have of suffering. To live the life that she would have of loss. But we say that she's blessed. So how was she blessed? Look at verse 50. She says, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary's going to give us three opportunities in this song that she sings where she talks about kingdom blessing, of what it means to be blessed as a follower of Christ, of what Jesus does for us in our relationship with him, of what it means to be blessed in our faith, and these are what we begin to see. And and the first thing she says is, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And so we are blessed with mercy. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we live in God's compassion and God's kindness. And God gives this to us from the words of Mary, from the words of Scripture. This happens when we fear him. Fear him. And it doesn't seem that blessing comes from fear, does it? That's not what logic teaches us. That's not what the world teaches us. But the fear of God is not what we think of when you and I think of fear. When you and I think of fear, we think of terror. But when the fear of God is discussed, it's the awe and reverence of God. So what does it mean to fear God? What does it mean to be in awe of God? Two things that I think we can draw from this passage of Scripture is this. Number one. To fear the Lord means to recognize his greatness. To recognize his greatness. Now, I'm a basketball guy. I don't know if anybody else is a basketball guy, but I'm a basketball guy. I love basketball. I love the NBA. I love the NBA. I know I'm definitely in a minority of people in loving the NBA, but I love the NBA. But an argument that exists from time to time within the NBA is who is greater, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? And my statement to that is simply this. You're asking the wrong question. It's, is it Michael Jordan? Is it Magic Johnson? Is it Larry Bird? Right? Like LeBron's not even in the conversation. But we want to pick and choose and bring people in. We talk about, hey, what's the greatest restaurant that you've ever been to? Well, you can pick this restaurant and you can pick this restaurant. What's the greatest song that you've ever heard? You can pick this song and you can pick this song. But when it comes to the greatness of God, there's no one that should even be in the breath. Because it's who he is. And that his greatness were struck in awe because there is none like him. And it means to stand in the awe. We've never seen, we've never experienced, nor ever we will anything greater than God. But the second that fear or awe should set within us is our smallness. We pale in comparison when it comes to the things of God. And what the Bible would define that out for us is humility. The humility as we approach him, the humility as we come to him. Just as Mary talks about kingdom blessing in this song, Jesus does the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. And there in Matthew 5.5, he says this, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Jesus has got a group of his followers, a group of people who are curious that have come up to him and he gathers on the, on the side of this mount, on the side of this hill and he's gonna draw them to and he's gonna explain the kingdom of God. And he begins by talking about in the, in the Beatitudes of what it means to be blessed. And he speaks to more than we're just going to look at this morning, but everything that he says is countercultural to where they are. Everything that Mary is declaring is countercultural to where she is and is countercultural to where we find ourselves today. But the truths of both ring out in one another. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, not the strong, for they shall inherit the earth, to fear God and to be meek are very similar because they both recognize who we are in light of the gospel, right? Who we are in light of the gospel. Desperate sinners who need to be saved, who've done nothing to earn or deserve, but it is only in the goodness of God. And he is great and we are not is what we find. Mary continues on in her song down at verse 51. She says, he has shown strength with his arm. And then begins to talk about the difference in the blessing, the difference in the kingdom. She says, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, right? Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate exalted those who the world thinks less of, exalted of those who we would never think. We would think the, 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 the proud because of what they know, of what they've done, of what they've accomplished. We would think of the mighty because they have their thrones and all that they've worked toward, all that's been passed on to them, all that comes from their family name. But, but Mary says, no, 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 no. He's exalted those of humble estates. God brings down the powerful and exalts those who are not. And what we begin to see throughout the Christmas story what we see throughout Scripture is the men and women of God chooses. And the question is, why does God choose who he chooses? You ever looked at Scripture? I heard a pastor say this this week, and, and, and I love this three-word phrase. He said this, God chooses afterthoughts. God chooses afterthoughts. God chooses the last person picked for the dodgeball team or maybe the person not picked at all. God picks the person that you never knew of, that you didn't have, but Scripture is filled with those chosen by him. We could stay in here from now until Christmas recounting those, but I just want to draw a few of them to, to, to your mind real quick this morning. Rahab, a woman in the lineage of Jesus, who was used in a powerful way by God to save the Israelites, and help them overtake the pagan city of Jericho. She was an afterthought. She was a prostitute. David, King David, warrior David, musician David, of all the things that we think of with David and Goliath, David described in scripture after a man after God's own heart. But when the prophet Samuel came to his home, he talked to his dad, Jesse, and when Samuel would show up, it was the job of the prophet to let the people know who the next king would be. <coughs> and so Jesse sends for all of his sons to come. Samuel's like, nope, 
nope, nope, nope, nope, nope. I thought I asked for all your sons. Well, oh man, nope, hold on, I'm sorry. David, go get David, right? A man so insignificant, his own father left him out. Moses, 80 years old when God called him to lead his people from Egypt, and then he led them for 40 years. Do the math, right? 120 years. Moses, a man on the run because of murder, but yet it's who God chose. Paul, the greatest missionary and church planner, wrote most of the New Testament, but also executed before he was saved, many Christians who professed their faith in Christ. The afterthoughts. You see the story of Christmas. Mary, the, 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 the nobody girl from a nobody town. Joseph, who was, she was betrothed to be her husband. A nobody man from a nobody town. And then on the night that Christ was born, the angels didn't appear to the kings and queens and to the rulers of the region, but instead appeared to shepherds, outcasts, many of them thieves, in the only job they could now have, and gave them the message of who Christ is. God exalting those from the lowly estate. All the time, God chooses those whom the world would have passed by because they're not deserving, because they haven't earned it, because it's not who you would choose or who I would choose, but it says so much about the gospel. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 3, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what it means to be poor in spirit? What it means to be poor in spirit is to recognize that we bring nothing to the table, that we bring nothing worthy. And so within that creates for us a desperation. And the Christmas story is filled with these. Last thing that we see in, in these verses of kingdom blessing, verse 53, and he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has, sit, he has sent away empty. Well, I, I told you guys that we started the Christmas celebration with my in-laws yesterday, which means we ate food. And we ate a lot, a lot of food. I would tell you how many plates of food that I ate, but I don't want to have to confess that in front of everybody. But I will say that I came home weighing five pounds more than I did previously, okay? So got some work to do, got some work to do. And I ate yesterday so much over and over. I walked in, my mother-in-law had appetizers set out on the island and said, but don't eat too much because lunch is coming. I looked at her and said, challenge accepted, right? I got this. Don't worry about me. But I ate and ate and ate and ate and ate and ate. I passed being full about 30 minutes into eating and kept on, right? But you know what happened this morning? I woke up hungry. I did. I didn't go to bed hungry, but this morning I woke up hungry. And you know what'll happen today? I'll eat not as much as yesterday. You know what'll happen tomorrow? 
I'll wake up hungry. And I will do all that I can do within the course of my day to make sure that I'm satisfied only to find out the next day that I'm no longer satisfied. And that's what Mary's talking about. For he filled the hungry, those who hunger for him with the good things. But the rich, those who can feed themselves, they sent away. You know, there's two interesting books in the Old Testament that to read through them, take some time, to, to study them, take some time. There's a lot that's there. They're oftentimes difficult to read. It's the, the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes. And the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes both speak to the truth that we find in verse 53. In the book of Job, Job loses everything. And in losing everything, finds out what? That God is everything. And in Ecclesiastes, Solomon gains everything, everything you and I could possibly imagine, and then more. And what is his conclusion? That it's all useless apart from knowing God, because he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied looks out at a group of broken and hurting people. People that would hunger for money, that would hunger for power, that would hunger for influence, just like many today. And he says, you want to be satisfied? Then hunger for righteousness. So how do we gain righteousness? Well, we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. But instead, it is the gift of God through the work and life and the person of Jesus Christ. And the scripture says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for him. And then lastly, this little girl in her song, and we'll close on this, she talks about the future glory. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, in verse 48. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary looks and says, from now on, moving forward, here's where my blessing will lie. And in that, all generations will call me blessed. You know, for you and I right now, so many times in these opportunities, we get stuck in the moment. We can't see past today. We can't see past right now. We can't look into the future, but the hope of the gospel is not always found in the right now, but is found in the future glory that's promised us. It's hard to see that in the brokenness that we experience. It's hard to see that in the fallen and the brokenness of the world in which we live. But the Bible reminds us that right now is not the fulfillment of that. If it was, then we'd be okay with it always being here. We'd be okay with what's right right now. But the Bible teaches us that God is using all these things in our world to build up with inside of us a particular hunger that hungers for something that's not of today that hungers for something that can't be purchased, that hungers for something that can't be fixed right now. It's a future glory. It's what we long for. And, and, and I intentionally do not have these words on the screen because I just want you to listen to them. But if you want to go back and read Romans 8, starting in verse 18, 
Paul writes, and he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemptions of our body, for in this hope we are saved. Belonging. And as you're going through and experiencing the brokenness of this world, of all that is busted, of all that is painful, of all that hurts, of all that brings tears, know in the midst of the struggle that God isn't wasting it that God is using it, that God is working in it. And in that where we don't know what happens on the other end of it and the other end of it in the immediate might not be good, what God is doing is he is creating in us something special that causes us to long for a future that we see in Revelation where all of this is gone and it's just him for eternity. And it's what God uses. And so a little young teenage virgin girl can stand in her relative's home knowing the shame that others will cast at her, knowing the struggles that she will face, knowing what will lay out in front of her. But honestly, in most of what her life will carry, she's clueless. She's clueless. And she doesn't know how it's all going to pan out. And she doesn't know all of the pain that's going to come. But she can look at that and place her hope, not in the earthly circumstances, but in the hope of Christ and the future glory that awaits. Do you have hope? Not that tomorrow will be better. Not that this afternoon will be better. But do we have hope in him and in him alone? Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the song of Mary. Lord, I don't know how your spirit worked in her in the moment to declare the truths that were there. Lord, but I thank you that from your humble servant, your obedient servant, you spoke words of encouragement, of obedience, of mercy, and of hope that rang true as they came out of her mouth, and they ring true today. Lord, today, in spite of what all this world brings, but Lord, may we find comfort 
in the mightiness of your hand and the strength of your will. Lord, as the world throws accusations, as we feel the, the arrows that seem to consume us and surround us, Lord, could we, we be reminded of your mercy, of your compassion, and of your kindness for us? Or for those who fear you? Or can our joy be found and our hope be secured? Not because we're perfect, not because the day is perfect because our faith is found in you and in your holiness and there's no other like you or can we look at the situations and the struggles of our life that we face or can we look back in what you've done and see what you did and what you're continuing to do through the battles that we face Lord, where we can't see past the fog, we, we don't know what's happening, we don't know where we're even wondering where you are and what you're doing, Lord, but could you just remind us that what we need in those moments is not knowledge, is not answers, but is, but is faith to hope in you, that you will not leave us or forsake us. And Lord, can we thank you that you speak to us, or not with an angel that appears in our home, with your very word of God. And through that word, we can know you. And we can take it to make you known. Lord, my prayer for us is that we would reflect the song that Mary sang, that our soul magnifies you and that our spirit rejoices in our God our Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we worship him? Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.